Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Preached two weeks ago in the first commandment, love God. Preached last Sunday, second command, love people. You cannot do either in your own strength. So, always when I go to a church, my third sermon is always on prayer. Because you cannot do anything in your own strength. You are no stronger today than you were the day you got saved. One of the greatest mistakes Christians make is they think as years go by, they get stronger in of themselves. That's not true. You have the same depravity, same nature. You're still you. The power in the Christian life is never in our getting better. It is in our total dependence on God. Always. So today we're going to talk about prayer. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. You know this passage. You're going to be blessed by it. Let's stand for the reading of God's word, if you would please. Matthew 26, 36, as Charles comes to read for us. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And would you bow with me for prayer? Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we do pray that you'll give us the strength that we need to be the servants to your glory that you want us to be. We thank you for the service that has gone before and the worship. We pray, dear Lord, that you'll bless the message now that's coming. And we pray, dear Lord, that you'll speak to each of our hearts powerfully and give us the strength to receive your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Charles. Love you, brother. <clears throat> Verse 39 is our text. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. This is the torturous moment in the life of Jesus. Let me make sure that you understand what's happening here. Artists have taken this moment and made a beautiful, peaceful, serene picture of the way Jesus was praying. No, no. Watch me. He was not praying like this. He was not praying like this. Our master was praying like this. Dad! Dad, is there any other way we can do this? Dad, Dad. He asked his dad if it was possible, could this cup pass from me? In the ancient world, they talked about drinking a cup because at the bottom of a cup, the remains were always bitter. They didn't have the filtration systems that we had. So it would be like you who drink coffee and those of us who drink tea, having grounds at the bottom of the cup and us drinking those. And we know how gross that is. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That's the way the ancients would talk about when they go through something bitter. 
they would say, is there any way we pass this cup? And so Jesus is on his face begging his dad, is there any other way we could do this? Now, why was Jesus feeling so terrible? Because the next day he was going to drink the worst cup that any human has ever drunk. He was going to drink the cup of God's wrath against you and me empty. Don't ever forget, the Lord Jesus drank your cup of damnation dry. He took your hell into his body. This is what Paul believed. He said of Jesus, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Peter knew this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. The reason he's trembling on his face Begging his daddy, if there's any other way he could get out of this. The reason he's begging is because he's going to become the next day on the cross, the enfleshment of the very toxin that causes the worst pains in us, the beings he loves most. Because of what he did the next day, we can say people do not go to heaven because they're good. People do not go to hell because they're bad. Understand that the greatest, I've said, for, I've said for 30 years at least, if I had only one sermon to preach, that's the sermon I'd preach. People don't go to heaven because they're good. They don't go to hell because they're bad. I think it's the number one religious error in the thinking of people of America. They think you go to heaven if you're good. You go to hell if you're bad. Isn't it sad that Mother Teresa died believing she was not going to go to heaven? How is that possible? Because she was raised in a system that taught you go to heaven if you're good. You go to hell if you're bad. And she never thought she was good enough. But God decided he was going to take care of that. He didn't want us to live our lives not knowing what our eternal destiny was going to be. Who wants to work for a boss? That you never know whether you please them or not. Who wants to be raised by a parent? That you never know if you've satisfied them. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit devised a way whereby His children could know for sure they go to heaven when they die. For 1,700 years, Christians have described the original nature and person of God in a very interesting word. 1,700 years, the Latin word is called perichoresis. Para means around. Choresis means dance, like choreography. So Christians for 1,700 years have said that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit live in a dance. A parachoresis, a dancing around each other. So close to each other, so tight, that they are one. You see, when you're talking about the Trinity... It's very hard to go from thinking about one to three. When you're talking about the Trinity, start with three and go to one. It's always a lot easier. It's like Ruthie and I. We are two, but we are one. It's easier for you to understand that if you know us. So when we talk about God, the ancients used to call it perichoresis. 
They say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dancing around each other, and it's so tight there is one. And somewhere in the dance around, because they love each other so much, and it's the nature of love, they want to share itself, because they love each other so much, they decided they would create creatures that they knew would rebel against them. And because the love was so great, they would love them anyway. But then to make sure that the creatures understood how much God loved them, even after they became rebellious creatures against God, God would come and take care of the problem. So one of the three would become human. We call him Jesus. It's incorrect to call him Jesus before he was born. Before he's born, he's the second person of the Trinity, the angel of the Lord. So the second person of the Trinity became human because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in the dance around had decided they would figure out a way because something would happen where people would never have to worry about whether they were saved or not. And so the second person of the Trinity came died on a cross for the sins of the world, took the hell of believers into himself, and now you don't go to heaven because you're good. You don't go to hell because you're bad. Jesus has paid the sin debt. And if you know him, if you know him, you will go to heaven when you die. If you do not know him, you have no payment for your sin. And therefore you do not go to heaven. So now here we come, in the perichoresis, the dance around, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit agreed, this is the way we would do it. But the Bible says, Paul says in that great passage in Philippians 2, that when the second person of the Trinity became human, he emptied himself. The Greek word kenosis, the great kenosis passage. The second person of the Trinity who had agreed that God would die for sinners and take their hell into his body for those who received him. The second person of the Trinity, whom we know as Jesus, came, but he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? Well, he didn't empty himself of everything because he still could read people's minds. He could predict certain things in the future. So there were things he knew and he had this great power to heal at his own will. There's some things he did not empty himself of. What he did empty himself of is the ability to live a perfect life because he's God. See, if Jesus lived a perfect life because he is God, he has nothing to teach us. In fact, he mocks us. He emptied himself of the ability to live a perfect life as God, he emptied himself so that he could live the perfect life the same way you and I can live a successful Christian life. The Son would always depend on the Holy Spirit and the Father. When he's in the perichoresis, I will go and die for sinners. When he's here, 
He has emptied himself of the ability to live the godly life because he is God. He has only the same strength you and I have when it comes to living a godly life. He must depend on the Father. And so the one who in the perichoresis said, yes, I will go and do this. Now in human flesh is saying to his daddy, is there any other way we could do this? He's not trying to get out of his duty. He's not a coward. He just understands sin and hell, your sin, my sin, your hell. My hell's going to come into his body tomorrow. And he's just wondering, as a human, is it morally possible within the master plan of redemption that there could be some other way we could do this and still be consistent with God's will and his purposes? And the result is, you and I get a really good look into the midnight of Jesus' human existence. On his face, Dad, any other way? Having to make a choice. God the Father sent God the Son to die, but did not force him to die. Jesus said on his own, using the same power that you have, must before his father say, Lord, you've got to do something here. Is there any other way that we can do this? And it's such a great lesson of prayer to us. It teaches us that our goal in prayer is not to be emotionless and unfeeling. Jesus begged to the point, the Bible tells us in Luke's version, that he sweat as there were great drops of blood. There is a medical term for that. An angel had to come from heaven and comfort him. He, he's in agony so great. He's shaking so badly that an angel had to come and comfort him. So he's teaching us that in prayer, it's okay to be intense, to feel something really deeply, but we should also want to keep the pain if that's what God's will is for our life. The goal of prayer is not painlessness, it is victory, even if we have to keep the pain. So when we are hurting, you can cry out to God. You can scream at God, you can plead with God, you can, beg and I, you can beg, you can agonize, you can get on your face, and as loud as you can say it, yell, Dad, is there any other way? As long as you can also say, Father, not what I want, but what you want. Not my will, but thine be done. Easy to say, hard to mean. Jesus unveiled here the secret ingredient in all effective praying. If you and I were told by God, you could have only one prayer the rest of your life. If God were to say, you can only pray one thing as long as you live. You'd better not pick anything other than this right here. Not my will, but your will be done. This is all prayer in one prayer. The most important act of being a Christian is submission. Being totally yielded to the will of God. In other words, holiness matters most. Say it please. Holiness matters most. Say it again. Holiness matters most. Life lived unto Him, totally submissive, yielded. Whatever God wants, that's what we'll do. And one of the most accurate, best tests of whether or not 
you are spiritually mature is not the things that we always measure. Of course, smoking, drinking, dancing, cussing, chewing tobacco, running around with women who do. We, we, we've got these little, little things we do. If I'm a good Christian, I'll do this, do this, do this, do this. Stop it. Stop it. That'll come. That's a part of holiness. But that's not the best test of where you are spiritually. The best test is are you willing for God's will to be different from your will? Are you willing to submit? When Paul refused to let the people's warnings about him going to die in Jerusalem keep him from Jerusalem, they finally just gave up and they said, the will of the Lord be done. Did you see that? See, it's a whole congregation of people saying, we don't want this to be done, but the will of the Lord is more important than our will. James warned us not to brag about what we're going to do, what we're going to do tomorrow or the day after. He said, instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. In other words, you're living your whole life saying, I want to do this. I plan to do that. But if God chooses otherwise, I will accept it. Effective praying submits. The most important part of praying is bringing yourself to where you at one, thinking like, submitting to, yielding to God, because it's only as you yield yourself unto Him in your prayer life that now you're finally going the same direction He's going. Like I told you the other day, if God is not number one in your life, you wonder why your life is out of sync. You wonder why things aren't going good, because everything you do in your whole life, everything you plan, everything you want to do, if God is not number one, He's always nudging you in the direction of making Himself number one. You're wanting to do this, this, and this, and God's saying, well, maybe first over here. So the most important part of prayer is you bring yourself under the will of God where His goodness, His power, His infilling prayer brings us in submission unto Him. Not my will, not what I want, but what you want. Now listen to me. Remember what I told you about Hosey Blue, the great quote of Hosey Blue? Uh, the most important thing in a sermon is a sentence. Here's the sentence. You ready? The sermon gives context. It allows it to live. It, the sermon pushes it. But there's one sentence in a sermon that usually changes people forever. Here is the most important sentence in this sermon. Our best prayers change our minds, not God's. Our best prayers change our minds. Not God's. When we adamantly, to the point of shaking our fists in God's face, try to force God to do what we want Him to do, when we decide we're in charge and we're trying to twist God, we are in essence trying to become our own God. And let me add one statement. Not only are we trying to become our own God, we're trying to become the God of God. And that domineering spirit is one of the main reasons why a lot of these seats are empty this morning. There are a lot of people who walk away from Christianity because their prayers did not get them what they want. Somewhere along the way, they were taught, you pray to God, you ask for stuff, and it comes, and you get it. And when that doesn't happen, life goes on, life gets hard. 
Well, if they don't get what they want, well, why mess with it? And off they go. The essence of being a Christian and the way you show your love is that you agree with Him how whatever life comes, whatever direction, no matter how painful life becomes, you accept His decision for you. We win. We win as Christians when we can sit in His presence, though hurting, and say, Father, having your smile means more to me than having anything of this earth. Now, for decades, this is how I've taught people how to live the Christian life. Watch me now. To live the Christian life, every once in a while, you need to get back in your prayer closet, your place of panic praying, the place you go to talk to the Lord, and you get serious with Him, where you go when you're face down. Daddy, is there any other way? You go to that place, and you, in your mind, you draw a circle around your feet. And in your mind, you start pushing everything that you own on this earth out. You push all your possessions out. You take your children, you push them out. You take your spouse, you push out your spouse. It's just you and the Lord in this circle. We call it the circle test. You're standing there. And you pray until you can say, Lord, this is enough. Very hard for me to do in my Ruthie. I have to double check my heart and make sure I'm really serious in the presence of the Lord, pushing everything out and saying, Lord, if it's just you and me, it's okay. And then after you have done that, then you start pulling the stuff back into your life. You pull Ruthie back in, you pull your children back in, your stuff, and you walk out of the circle and you get on with life. But if you want to know how mature you are, if you want to know if you're walking as close to the Father as Jesus was on his face in the garden, you take the circle test and you push everything else out. One of the greatest blessings of life is to learn how to pray this prayer, not my will, but yours be done. It would make our trials lighter. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's very controversial. Now, I'm not a deep preacher. I preach where people live. I try to help people live life. I, I deal with stuff that's practical. And here we go. Let's get on with our life. But every once in a while, I go deep. And when I go deep, I have to ask you to go with me, okay? So we're going to go deep for just a minute. Now listen to me. Listen to the whole thing. Listen to everything I say. Don't just judge me on the first sentence I say. Here we go. Let's go deep. I think that going through hard times is usually more difficult for Christians than non-Christians. Isn't it interesting? Don't, isn't it interesting that we often say, how do unbelievers get through this? How does a person who doesn't know Jesus, how, do they, how can they face something like this? I submit to you that often it's easier for the lost person than the saved person. Because people who are not Christ followers are basically fatalists. They just believe what, what will be, will be. Whatever comes, comes. So basically, they're just fatalistic. And so no matter what happens to them, you know, they, they sorrow, they grieve, they hurt, but that's it, that, that's it. Whereas the Christian goes through the very same problem. 
knowing that his or her God could fix it. So we add to the lost person the civil war. The two roosters clawing inside of us, fighting each other. Hurting just as bad as lost people do. But whereas they just let it kind of roll off. And they just got to grit their teeth and go through life. We know our God could fix it. And that's why it becomes so important that you be able to be like Jesus on your face. Dad? Dad? Not my will, but yours be done. It's the only way. For you to release some of that civil war angst in your heart and life. All right. We're going to come back up from the deep now and get back to the practical level. Here we go. Do you envy someone more gifted than you are? You need to pray for them. You need to pray this text for yourself. Have you or a loved one been sick for a long time? Not just sick. There's a difference between being sick and being sick for a long time. Are you missing the active life? You can't do what you used to do. Not as active as you once were. Do you feel a harsh attitude toward Jesus sometimes? It just Have you lost a loved one unexpectedly lately? What about the promotion at work that you didn't get? Are things bad at work? Have, have you literally bowed your head yet and said, taken the circle test and pushed it out and said, Lord, it's okay. Have family members strayed from God? That'll put you on your face on the ground. You give your whole life to raising your children for Jesus. Something goes wrong. That'll put you down flat. Are you able to push it outside the circle and say, no, Father, I tried my best to do what I could. Do we sometimes have to admit that we're angry at heaven? And at times you just want to yell at heaven and say, why don't you fix this? And the purpose of our text is to teach us that often God fixes things not on the outside of us, but on the inside of us. I do believe in a miracle-working God, but I have learned that the miracles, as often as not, are inside me rather than outside me. Ruthie and I grew up in church, both served the Lord our whole lives. We have suffered an inordinate amount of things in our life. We have suffered more than the average person, more things we have never gotten angry at God. Never. We have sometimes asked the question, why, in the way of, what are we supposed to learn from it? Uh, several of the things, we, we've learned nothing that we know of. Nothing. Gone through things and tried to help people going through it, and we've learned there are just some places in people's heart that even though you've gone through it, you cannot touch them. Had you taken Ruthie and me when we were newlyweds 52 years ago and told us all the things that were going to happen in our life, all the bad things? Had you sat us down and said, now, here's what's going to happen to you over the next half century and listed them, we would have both fallen to the ground in a fetal position and would have never gotten up. 
The fact that we have served Jesus, loved him, and never questioned him in an angry way is as great a miracle, that's as big a miracle, as if he would have answered every request, yes, that we have made in this half century of living life. God often does not take the cup of suffering away, but it does send the miracle, but the miracle is in us. Now listen to me now. Now you stay with me. We're almost done, but you stay with me. No one ever prayed with a pure heart or with greater intensity than did Jesus, the incarnate Son of God. You do realize this is God on the ground. God of very God, not a half God, not a demigod, not a semi-God. This is God of very God, equal Father, equal to the Holy Spirit, on the ground. Dad, any other way. Now listen to me. He lived a perfect life, pure and clean in every way, and he asked God for something, and his father said no. Perfect life. Totally pure. But his dad said, no. Your Christian life will be stunted if you think that your prayers are unanswered only if God says yes. No and wait are just as holy and just as godly an answer to prayer as yes is. Now listen to me. God, if you're a child of God, you're coming into His presence, you've repented, you want to be holy before Him, God has answered every prayer you have ever prayed in your life. Stop saying, God did not answer my prayer when He says no, or He says wait. Stop it. Stop it. Every time you say that, you're saying God must be mad at me. God doesn't like me. When God has answered every prayer you've ever prayed, by yes, he has encouraged us every once in a while. He does grant something. We ask as a miracle. Something happens, but it does happen. But then most of the time, he says, wait. Many of you have been praying for the same thing for 20 years, 30 years. If I were to, raise, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, if you've been praying for something about 20 or 30 years, I would have to have you put your hand down real quickly because if you held it up very long, your chin would begin to quiver because it matters so much to you. You don't know if the answer is ever going to be yes. You don't know. It's just wait. That's God's way of making sure we keep coming to Him. Yes encourages us. Wait is sweet and precious. It keeps us coming. And no is how God protects us. Don't, don't forget who always says yes. Satan. It is Satan who will give you the desires of your flesh. It is Satan who will say yes. Satan will give you what you want. When God says no, he does it to protect us. Many of us on Judgment Day are going to find out that God's greatest gift to us was a no or two no's or three or four or five. An ancient heathen poet one time wrote a poem about Jupiter, the chief god. 
And he said that when humans pray, Jupiter laughs, reads them, makes fun, and tosses them. And that's exactly what you're thinking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit if you think the only answer to prayer is yes. You're thinking, well, God doesn't care. And that's why so many people are not here today. God answers every prayer. He does not grant every request, but He answers every prayer. And so when you pray, God does not cast it to the wind. He hears your every request. And whether he says yes, wait, or no, he loves you just as much. Every prayer. The one when he said no, he answered that with as much Love is when he said yes. Every prayer. If I did not believe this, I think I would lose my mind. Every life that I've lived. When I was pastor at Second, in my last three or four years there, I developed a huge prayer ministry to the people. By the way, when you fill out those cards with a prayer request, I do pray for them. I did it for years at Second Baptist. And my wife is not here. She would be my witness. I wish she were here. She could testify this. It got to where my stack was this big because I was always saying, I'd pray for them, and then I asked them whoever turned in a prayer request to pray for us. My stack would get so big of prayer requests that I couldn't hold them. And I would go through those prayer requests every day the next week, and nothing ever happened. Nobody got healed. Nobody's marriage got saved. Had I not believed that the Lord every card, as I took every card, had I not believed that God is answering this request according to His will and His love and His way, I think I would have almost lost my mind. Therefore, here's the point. Here's the point. However powerless you feel in prayer, you pray anyway. It doesn't matter how strong you feel that you leave the results to God. Your job is to pray. The Bible commands us, whatever our perceived prayer prowess, to pray. Henry Ward Beecher, a great pastor and preacher who... The end of his career did not end well. But when Henry Ward Beecher was younger, Abraham Lincoln said that Henry Ward Beecher was the most important man in America. In fact, that's the name of his latest biography, Most Important Man in America. Lincoln, uh, you've heard of the Cooper speech, the most important speech uh, Lincoln ever made. It's Cooper Auditorium. He was supposed to go to Henry Ward Beecher's church and make that speech. But too many people wanted to come, so they moved it to the Cooper Auditorium. But Lincoln was coming to Beecher Church. It was Beecher who would buy slaves, bring them on his platform, and auction them off. The members would buy them and then free them. The South hated him, despised him. And Lincoln would often say Beecher was the one who really led us into the war. He was the man. 
Henry Ward Beecher said that what made him most love God, now listen to this, what made him most love God was that the God of the universe just wanted to talk with us. Whether God says yes, no, or wait, Beecher said, doesn't matter. Prayer is such an amazing thing. God, 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 <laughs> God wants us to come talk to him. If we, get an, if we never get another yes as long as we live, and I feel that way often. I've never, never, been, a, never been a prayer warrior, never been good at prayer. Somehow it never was in my, somehow it just didn't happen to me. I've known people that it did, but not for me. But if we never get another request granted in this lifetime, we should love Him. We should submit to Him because the act of prayer is a marvel indeed. We sinners get to come into His presence and talk to Him. We cannot increase God's strength. We cannot increase His greatness. There's only one thing you can do. You can increase his happiness. Now think about that. You can increase God's happiness by taking time to talk to him. Well, I think you're done, so I'm done. All right, let's quit right there. Put all your stuff away. Put everything away. Put it down and let's pray, okay? After a sermon on prayer, we have to pray. We have to pray. Put everything away. Hands free. And now pray. Now, Christian, where did the message meet you? You cannot hear a sermon like this and it not touch you somewhere. Where did the message meet you? Now, in your heart of hearts, in your deepest innermost essence, would you just talk to God like Jesus did and just say, Dad, Dad, hey, Dad. Dad, Dad, Daddy. And then you finish the sentence, okay? Daddy, forgive me for thinking you cared only if you said yes. Daddy, forgive me. Forgive me for not being able to do the circle test. Daddy, forgive me for not saying your will be done and meaning it from the bottom of our hearts. Daddy, and you finish the sentence. Now, while Christians are praying, allow me to speak to unbelievers. Maybe somebody said something this week, or you heard something in the music this morning, or maybe something in a message that you found there saying, I'm ready, I want to receive Jesus. If that's the case, I'd like to lead you in prayer. Now, the prayer doesn't save you. We don't believe in magic, no. The words matter only if they come from a, a, a true sense swelling up from inside us. But if you're ready now to give your life to Jesus, and this prayer says what you truly are experiencing right now in your heart of hearts, and if it'll help you use it, here it is. I'll pray it out loud, and you pray it silently. Dear Jesus, I am sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Come live in my heart. 
I receive you as the master of my life. Amen.